Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out, I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. This episode is a recording from a Q&A I hosted featuring my partner, Joey Sturgis, in our URM community discord. URM's community discord is an amazing platform for our subscribers to engage and interact with each other. As we're growing it, we'll be doing exclusive Q&As and meetup events with some of your favorite engineers and producers. Access to the Discord server comes with your URM slash nail the mix subscription. All right. So with that said, here is my conversation with Joey Sturges and a few of the members who were able to ask their questions live. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. These guys don't need any introductions. Joey and Ale. How's it going, Nick? Very good. Good. Yes. 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 Hello. Hello. And just want to say thanks to everybody for showing up and hanging out with us. Hello, Joey. Looking forward to hearing your questions. Thanks for uh, setting this up, Nick. This is pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, just stoked to hear from the community and bring some uh, bring some knowledge. Yeah, let's do this. I got to give some love to John, John Maciel. He's been helping out with the Discord and everything too. So kudos to John as well. But yeah, feel free to raise your hands, ask questions. In the meantime, I have a question for you, Joey. Well, we have a question, so I'll hold on to that till the next time there's a lull. Okay. <laughs> hey, hello. Hello. Hey, hey. I wanted to ask Joey about workflow in a, making a new mix. How do you manage to not get jet bored of the mixing templates and the presets? Awesome. Thanks for the question. So we've been working for a pretty long time, me and my engineers. Essentially, what we've been doing over the years is just sort of opening the same session that we had last and then like tweaking it. And you can imagine after years and years of doing that, it gets pretty dialed in. So a lot of like what we're focused on and worried about is more the song and what we're doing with the song and like less about like 
routing or which reverb plugin should we use or should we do this or should we do that? Like there's not a lot of time spent on any of those questions. It's more about like, you know, should this song have a breakdown and how heavy should it be and what tuning are we going to use? And those kinds of things are, are what we're spending time on. And, you know, it takes a lot of time to build something like that. And you run into situations where, you know, maybe you do a song and it's like, okay, like this template for whatever reason is just not gelling with this song. It's like they're like fighting each other. So in those cases, you just go back to the basics, right? Like you, you learn the fundamentals of mixing and maybe we just throw out, we end up throwing out all the guitar stuff from the template. We just start over on the guitars or maybe it's like something with the vocals. Well, we just throw out all the vocals and start over. Like sometimes that happens, you know, no template is going to be a hundred percent perfect, but it does help like from the day to day of operating a studio and working with different artists. It helps to uh, essentially have something that is ready to rock and roll um, because you know, your artists are going to get pretty bored pretty fast if they're just sitting there watching you like set up routing and stuff. <laughs> so uh, we try to maintain like a really fun and friction-free environment in the studio so that it's all about creating. Joey, also, it seems like more often than not, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but it, just because you have a template, and I mean, you did kind of say this, but just because you have a template doesn't mean, A, that it's going to work, and B, that you can just keep it the way it is. I mean, the starting point, am I correct? Yeah, it's kind of like, this is probably not the best metaphor, but I would imagine like a chef spends his life learning how to deal with all kinds of different kitchenware and how to work with different ingredients. But at the end of the day, when they make a meal, like they're not creating a batter from scratch. Like the batter is like in, in a container that they made like weeks ago, if it can store that long, if that makes sense, right? But at the same time, like the chef isn't like completely ignorant. Like he, if he has to start from scratch, he can. And that's kind of like how I think of it. Right. So we build those templates up to save us time. But when we get in scenarios where they don't work, we're still pretty knowledgeable engineers and producers and we can, you know, react to the situation before us. So I, I would recommend, though, for everyone to spend a little bit of time just getting yourself some kind of uh, session template. It, even if it's not something that works all the time, it, you know, having some of the basics in there can really just save you a lot of time. All right. Looks uh, like we have a couple questions now. So Nick Henretti. Hello, Nick. Thanks so much for, for letting me ask a question. Uh, Joey, um, question for you. Uh, your mixes and your production especially are usually like really intense and interesting and layered. So my question is like, what sort of a mindset do, are you in when you're looking for different things to add to make a mix or an arrangement more exciting? Is it something that you develop over time? Do you have a checklist that you're going through? What's kind of, what's kind of your mindset and all that? Great question. Yeah, I, I think the, basically like, I always have a, a pretty common goal with the people I work with. Um, and it does pigeonhole me a little bit because it, it makes it seem like I kind of, I'm like a one trick pony and I only do this one thing. I assure you I can do a lot of different stuff. It's just, this is what I get hired to do. And that is to basically make like the comic book character version of whoever I'm working with. So like, and quite literally attack attack, like took that to an extreme and made their music videos with comic book character versions of themselves, <laughs> which is very fitting to like what I do with their productions. But I always just try to think of it like, how do I 
how do I make everyone in the song a superhero? How do I make the vocalist a superhero? How do I make the guitars a superhero? How do I make the drums just punch you in the face? Like, that's just kind of like my, that's my mindset. Bigger than life, the craziest, most intense, most extreme version of everything possible. But the craziest bass drops, the biggest sounding drums, like wall of guitars, you know, and then layers and layers and layers of vocals. That's just kind of like what I try to do. I can do like simpler stuff, but it's just no one's ever really like hitting me up for that. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like don't go to the steakhouse if you want a salad, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, people know what your mixes and productions sound like at this point. So why would they go to you if they want something completely different? Not that all your records sound the same or anything, but you've got a signature for sure. I, I've actually had a few clients try and do that and it doesn't work. I remember I uh, worked with this one band. I, w I won't name names, but they kind of wanted like this, like sort of like Seosin sound. And to me, when I listen to like Seosin, it's kind of more of like a raw vibe. It doesn't sound like super polished. So I gave them like a pretty raw, like unpolished mix. And they were like, why aren't there any like snare samples? And like, why don't the guitars sound like there's a wall of guitar? I'm like, well, yeah, but that like, that's what you said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So Sometimes it can add friction, you know, if, if someone's coming to me, um, maybe they just want my name on the project and they're not necessarily super familiar with what I actually do. That doesn't end up working out very well. So my mindset is just bigger and larger than life. That's kind of what I try to go for. And, you know, when it comes to like layering, the more layers you add, the bigger it's going to sound. But there's also situations where you want to be careful. Like you don't want to have, you know, eight rhythm guitar tracks. Um, because at some point it actually will make the guitar sound smaller. So there's definitely a balance, you know, like if you have two guitars on the left side and two guitars on the right side, and you push a set of those pretty loud, it'll sound pretty big. But if you do like eight layers, that's like a lot of RMS information. And so then it becomes kind of hard to push it through the speakers, if that makes sense. It's almost like eating up too much harmonic headroom. And then you get in a situation where you think it's going to be big, but then nothing's really big because everything's too many layers. So it's definitely a balance. Makes sense. All right. We have a question here from Steve Marek. So uh, let's uh, get Steve in here. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm at work. So trying to balance two things at once. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for being here. What is your question? When you get a session that is just gigantic, how do you keep yourself from getting overwhelmed with the amount of data on your screen? Here's how I like to approach it. So I'll actually mute the whole song and I'll just bring up one element at a time. So I usually start with the kick, then the snare, then the rest of the drums. And I'll get the drums sounding pretty cool. Then I'll bring in the, the bass, maybe the guitars. And I kind of just like, like, obviously there's going to be tons of stuff in your session. It's all... And, and one thing that does help a lot is to actually put everything in a certain order. So at the top of my session, I always like my drums to be first. Then I put my bass, my guitars, my vocals, and then keys, and then like sound effects. And I do it in that order on purpose because like that's kind of the order of importance in my mind. Like the most important thing in any mix in my mind is drums. And I know, you know, someone, some will argue that vocals are the most important thing, but like if it's just vocals, then it's acapella. <laughs> so drums, 
super important base, like bottom end, low end, super important. If you don't have that done right, then you're, you're going to sound like a wimp, then guitars, then vocals, then keys, then everything else. And I just kind of group everything together and I bring them in one at a time. And I don't let, I try not to let the amount of information and the amount of stuff overwhelm me in the sense that like, all you have to do is you have to be able to just hear it. Like if you have a mix that has, you know, 80 different things in it, all you have to do is be able to just hear those things. So once you have like your basic mix going, like your drums, bass, guitars, vocals, keys, then it's like a a matter of just bringing the faders up on those other things until they're just audible. And when they are just audible, then you can start to play around with, you know, EQ compression, things like that. But I, I usually will just stick to faders first and get everything in there. And then I start to sculpt and mold the whole mix. So for those of you that are like doing nail the mix and you're getting these like 200 track sessions or whatever, that's how I would approach it. Like spend a day or two because you, you have like a whole month to mix the, the track. So spend like a couple days on drums, then spend like a day or two on bass and on and on and on and keep coming back to the session and keep bringing those little elements in one at a time and keep everything else muted like the whole time and until you finally get to that last element. Yeah. You know, I think that this is a very similar philosophy to when you approach any big task in your life that has a million pieces that seems insurmountable. I mean, what's the most basic way to achieve any goal is to break it down into little tasks and the same applies to mixing when you have a session with 300 tracks or something like that some obscene number of tracks well you still have your buses you still have your groups i mean you still have the basics the basics are still the same every time you got to get those drums powerful you have to get good balances and uh the more that you can whittle things down to just working on groups or buses uh or you know, bouncing things down with submixes, whatever, whatever you can do to simplify your life, break things down into little pieces, the better off you'll be. It, it's not like you have to be looking at a 300 or 400 track mix, like, well, I need to be approaching all 400 of these tracks at the exact same time. <laughs> well, there was a quote that I think came from Steve Jobs and, and maybe he got it from somewhere else, but I think it's uh, it's something along the lines of uh, a person can only focus on three things at once, um, or at least like visually, like the visual information in front of them. So that he used to do when his presentations on stage, there'd always be three things, three or less things to look at, I guess. But I kind of carried that over into like, you can really only think about three things at once. Like I can think about like, you know, the punchiness of the snare, the volume level of the vocal and how big the guitars are. So while I'm thinking about those three things, there's really nothing else crossing my mind. I'm not also thinking about the low end of the, of the bass or, or the kick frequencies or whatever, right? So you're constantly kind of shifting your mind around in the mix. So I try to just keep that in mind, right? Like just try not to do four things or five things at once, just, you know, three things. And take your time with it because eventually you'll start to get in a groove. You'll be able to build a template and these kinds of things won't be overwhelming. Like, you know, we're regularly building 200 plus track sessions in the stuff that we work on. And 
these sessions go through many hands too. You know, I'm, I'm producing my wife's record right now. And uh, we have several producers doing different things. We'll send it to someone and let them do all kinds of crazy stuff with like keys and strings or whatever. And they bring it back to us and it's like crazy, right? Like it comes back with like 50 more tracks than it had before. Um, but the way that we manage it is with our templates and our, our methods of uh, setting up the sessions and the routing and everything. And every time we get something back from someone, of course, they don't know our way of doing stuff. So we sort of manicure it and get it into place. And then make it manageable and it's something that's easier to deal with. And then we can go from there. Um, so it really just comes down to just one step at a time. Yeah. And uh, I'll just say that this right here is why your mix prep game needs to be uh, really, really polished and refined. The better you are at mix prep and the more predictable of a process it is, the more you have that down, the less overwhelming any of this stuff is going to be. We have a few questions, so uh, we'll get to that. Adam Shepard, you are up. Hey, hey. there. Cool. Uh, my question's for Al, but Joey, feel free to jump in. Uh, do you have any pointers on content creation that helps it connect with a wider audience, like things like uh, your delivery or language that you've learned from doing the YouTube, the podcast, or conducting community events? Um, uh, just like different ways that you can, you know, use language and content to connect with an audience. So. Do you mean in relation to when you're speaking to a guest or do you just mean in general? I uh, know more like social media stuff, like creating videos or uh, blogs and stuff like that. Well, I think that it's important to always know what message you're trying to put across. First of all, I think that lots of people just approach making content like they're just going to, oh, I got an idea. I'm just going to make something. And that works for some people who are already what I call tuned in, I guess, to what the public likes, but uh, most people are not tuned in. And so I think that it's important to know why you're making that piece of content. What is your point of view on that piece of content? Why does it matter? What's your opinion on this? Like, is, do you have no opinion? Uh, is it purely informational or uh, do you have a strong opinion of, where do you stand on all this? How defined is that? And one thing, now I don't really have to think about that stuff. It just kind of comes naturally. But at the beginning, when I was first starting to make content, I would write this shit out. I would ask myself all those questions. Like, you know, before I did a creative live or before we did podcasts, I would have pages and pages and pages and pages of notes on everything I wanted to say. And I really, really got my thoughts worked out. Like I said, I don't really need to do that anymore because I've been doing this so long. But one thing that I've noticed with budding content creators or budding podcasters is it it's a lot like early stage songwriters or something. John Brown and I were talking about this the other day. One of the biggest problems that we see with a riff rescue over at Riff Hard, which is where people submit a song that is incomplete, is that it sounds like people just went with the first thing that they wrote, you know, just, I've got a few riffs. I wrote them. So they got to be in the song rather than really, really working it out. And, uh, I approach content creation the same way. You really, really work it out. Don't just go with the first draft, refine your thoughts. And then 
when you're thinking about what you're going to say, don't be afraid to script it out. Like I don't really read scripts anymore. At the beginning I had, if I didn't have a script, I at least had super defined bullet points. And then I would ask myself, will a sixth grader understand this? Will somebody who knows nothing about what we're talking about understand this? Like I definitely did that with my creative live sessions. I was thinking if somebody's significant other is in the room, will they understand what I'm talking about? Or will it seem like uh, some crazy foreign language or something? It comes with very, very conscious intention on being understandable and getting super clear with what it is you want to do. What about you, Joey? I totally agree. I think you nailed it with everything you just said there. But one thing I would add is... Uh, kill your darlings and basically all that means is like you know there's going to be stuff that you think is great maybe even spent a ton of time on it but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day if you're creating content for an audience all that matters is what they want and what they uh, expect and if you don't deliver that your audience will show you their back (laughs) they'll turn their head they'll pay attention to something else and that's really hard i think actually to uh to understand it took me a long long time to really understand that and it's one of the reasons why like i don't know if any of you guys follow me on instagram i'm not like trying to please my audience on instagram uh i i share stuff that i think is cool i share stuff because i have a lot of family and friends following me and and i'm not trying to do social media on my personal stuff i'm not trying to do it like to get attention i'm not trying to have like the best engagement it's funny because people will leave comments on my stuff and they'll be like wow like you have thirty-five thousand followers but you only have like 100 likes and i'm like i don't give a shit like (laughs) you know it's just i would care if that was happening on like the jst account but that's completely different social media strategy right like that's to try and build and appease an audience and help help people so that's exactly what i was saying let me just point out you know why you're doing it yes on your personal page and you're just posting something that you personally are into for your family and friends you know that right but if you get that kind of engagement on the jst page all right we've got a problem but that's because the purpose the why behind the jst page is completely different so i think that what you what you're saying kind of is parallel to what i was just saying i just want to say that i agree with you about killing your darlings uh don't get precious about any of this shit. exactly especially when it comes to content i mean maybe it's a little different when you're writing music um but at the end but even then though you're still making music to potentially distribute and have people listen to it. So (laughs) in those regards, you need, you need to be writing something that people want to listen to. Now, one thing also, uh, the killing your darlings thing is deeper in my opinion than just being cool with deleting things. I know that a lot of people who put content out or try to promote on social media get in their own way because they're embarrassed to do certain things. I'm not saying be a clown or do things that go against your integrity. But what I mean is uh, there was a time period where people were embarrassed to use hashtags on Instagram because they looked cheesy and they associated them with cheesy shit. And I get it. There's a lot of cheesy hashtags out there. And I actually had those feelings too. However, it didn't stop me because once I saw the data on how much 
they helped. Well, I'm not going to let weird feelings about what someone may or may not think influence a really good decision that will help grow this thing. And there's a lot of other things like that too. Like uh, when people make YouTube content, you have to turn up the energy in your delivery to a point where it doesn't feel natural. If you think you've got good energy, turn it up 20%. And it's going to feel weird until you get used to talking that way. But a lot of people who start making content are afraid to do that sort of thing. They just feel weird about it. Don't want to be that dude that waves his hands around or whatever. And they don't do it. And then their content suffers because they're not doing what they need to do. Um, and so I would say that if you find yourself getting in the way, uh, kill that darling too. kill your pride, just do what you got to do in my opinion. And again, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form to make content that messes with your integrity or messes with your message or anything like that. But if you're too embarrassed to use a hashtag, if you're too embarrassed to speak with energy, you better figure out something else that's going to work for you. All right, Toby, you are up. Questions with regard to COVID and lockdown and all that sort of rubbish, because obviously a lot of us are still stuck indoors. We're still not able to network and interface uh, with people face-to-face. -face. Do you think it's best to, with regard to like drumming up work, is it best to wait until gigs are back up and we can actually start meeting people face-to-face? -face, or do you think it's best to start uh, cold outreaching and, and hitting up bands on like Facebook Messenger and Instagram cold to try and drum up work? Joey, I'm curious what you think, but my philosophy during the entire lockdown, and I think this is applicable and universal, it doesn't matter what you're in. I always ask myself, if I don't do this, will somebody else do it? If the answer is yes, then I'm going to make sure that I do it first. And so to answer your question, should you wait? Are other people waiting? If you wait till the situation is perfect and everything is back to normal, cool. But uh, what about all your competition? Did they wait? Um, and are you going to lose potential gigs, you know, mixes to somebody who didn't wait until the situation was perfect? One thing to keep in mind is that your life circumstance will never be perfect. The world will never be perfect. If you want to find a reason to wait to do the right thing for yourself, you can always do that. That is the easiest thing in the world to do. The harder thing, which is the better thing, is to acknowledge and accept that the world is fucked up and move forward anyways. There will never be a good time for anything important, in my opinion. What do you think, Joey? Yep, that whole there's always tomorrow is uh, a disease. <laughs> if anything, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like if anything, there's only right now, tomorrow's never promised. So I really don't wait for anything. I, I think actually, you know, when you're in a situation where like you described, there's no face-to-face -face marketing, I think you just adapt. You know, I think you find a way to, to continue to do the networking thing, but in a new way, um, just kind of like how communication used to only be, through landlines and then then came the internet and we had text communication then we had emails then we had audio calls and then we had facetime calls and right like we just kept finding ways to adapt 
to what was going on. And technology is in a good place more than it ever has been. I mean, we're all connected here on this Discord talking to each other, and we're probably all located in different places. So I think now more than ever is the time to actually go in there, use the internet and social media to your advantage, and connect with as many people as you can. And also recognize that the best jobs are going to be relationships, right? Like, it wouldn't be weird for me to go to Ben Bruce's wedding, because we're friends. And not it's not just the fact that I produced several of their albums, but we've spent a lot of time together in our lives and and we become good friends and i know you know what kind of foods he likes and he's probably aware of some of my favorite movies those kinds of things so if you think about it like the cold outreach stuff is really going to be more about shaking hands and opening doors but not so much about like marketing and promoting i think it's it's more it's in your best interest to try and go out there and build relationships and and just be the guy that everybody knows and the business will come afterwards. You know, don't don't use those platforms as a way to just to basically spam everyone. Yeah, that's kind of like a best practices kind of thing. Like, uh, regardless of the fact that you're stuck indoors, you want to make sure that you're not using that as an excuse to just carpet bomb. Yeah, you got to be creative. But again, other people are being creative about this stuff, so kind of the the challenge and the onus is on you to figure out how to do it without being that guy that pops up in my other folder and doesn't know me and is rudely asking me to check out their stuff that nobody actually listens to. So one thing that I would suggest is uh, ask yourself, you know, if you'll notice a theme here is that uh, a lot of my answers are suggestions on what questions to ask yourself. I think in order to get the best answers, you have to ask the right questions. But uh, one thing you can ask yourself is how have I discovered other people's work online? How have people networked with me online? Like, What has been successful? What's worked on me? You know, I've asked myself that question many times, like, uh, how does somebody discover a band? Um, yeah, I know it's changed now, but, uh, when, when my band was trying to get signed, like I analyzed in detail, like, how does someone discover a band? How do I discover a band? Uh, how, like, how do I become a fan of something? And you can ask yourself the same question. How does someone successfully get my attention? And, uh, start to use that on other people and don't be afraid to change tactics and strategy if you notice that stuff isn't working. Hey everybody, if you're enjoying this podcast and you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. 
Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix a song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. All right. We have a question here from Richard Flaum. Richard, you are up. Great. Okay. So I have kind of a related question, like being locked inside and all that, because I'm right now starting to get paid mixing jobs for the first time. And Congrats. Thanks. And for me, it's kind of really important to um, give feedback to the artists who record themselves and like have them optimize their production before we actually start talking about mixing. And uh, that is really hard to me, like not being in the same room because I, I do it via WhatsApp right now. And uh, yeah, it seems really inefficient. I wondered if you guys have any tips for that. Let me just clarify one thing, and I'll let Joey answer this first, but I want to make sure that we're clear about uh, what you're asking. So are you talking about specifically mixed jobs where somebody else produces, or they produce themselves, and they're handing you files to mix? Or are you talking about a situation where things are being produced or going to be produced, and you're going to then mix it? Like... What stage of the process are we talking about or all the above? So I think uh, right now I'm just getting paid for the mixing part. So it's uh, basically mixing jobs. But I think um, because I'm working with bands that are not that high level, that the songs would really benefit from like production advice and songwriting advice that I can give. So yeah. you want to figure out how you can get the bands to allow you to help fix their songs before you even get to mixing exactly and like in the best case get paid for it because right now i'm spending a lot of time on it and adding value to them but um yeah it seems like re really inefficient because uh it's not part of the deal i'm just getting paid for mixing right now so it's not necessarily bad engineering because like when you first asked the question i was thinking of oh, shitty guitar tracks or whatever but you're talking about having them let you help with the songs get paid for your help in a production capacity and then mix. Uh, so Joey, what do you think? That's tough because it, if you are the the artist and you don't recognize that the song needs help, then it's going to be hard to hear some outside advice, you know, kind of like um, your mom makes a spaghetti, you eat it forever. And then uh, 
sometime your friend gets a taste of it and they're like, oh, this isn't that great. And you're like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, so it, it not only is it weird to like try and get them to even hear that it's bad, but at the same time pay you for that, that's going to be tough. So in that scenario, I think, I think you might be running into a brick wall there because it's something that you notice, but they don't. So this being a service industry, it, it can be tough because I, I totally know that you're paying, right? Like you're like, well, I can mix this and it'll sound fine, but it, the real problem is the song, but it's like, you're the service provider and uh that's not the service that they hired you for so i think i think that ends up being a pretty tough scenario but what you could do i guess is just say you know maybe you could say hey i'd like to ask ask your permission if i could show this to a few of my friends i just want to see what they think about the song and if they if they give you their blessing to let you do that then maybe you could come back to them and say hey um so i did share the song with a few people and uh i think we all agree that you know these things could be better so if you're interested i would love to actually help you with the song before we even talk about mixing and here's what my rates are and they will probably turn you down but maybe they will oblige but you know at the end of the day you do have to present the the proposition you can't just force it on people yeah, one thing that came up in a podcast recently and i'm not remembering who it was with do so many but this person's philosophy on this is to just do it so for instance um if he's hired to mix something and he hears a production element or a song edit something you know that'll make it better but he will just do it on his own time like after the session and he'll send them an alternate version of the mix he'll send them what they asked for and then also hey i had this idea Here's what it sounds like, no pressure. And he says that, yeah, of course, sometimes they turn them down, but he's gotten a bunch of production clients that way when they hear what he did and the song is better. And uh, so you could always do that too. I mean, but Joe is really right. Like that. Like, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, th this this dude, man, and this guy like does like really awesome work. I'm, I don't know why I'm forgetting who it is, but yeah, he just does it. But because he gives them the two versions, they don't feel like they're having anything forced on them. And they know from the beginning that if they don't like it, it's no hard feelings. And uh, that seems to work. Great advice. Uh, Thank you. No problem. Thank you. So next up, uh, <laughs> Billy Mayardian. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks to both of you for doing this today and for taking the question. My question is to both of you, and it's kind of about like, just more or less time management. Um, obviously, you both are wearing a lot of different hats with, um, you know, engineering bands, running websites, creating educational materials, plugins, you know, the list goes on and on. And I know at this point, you're kind of specializing or focusing more on certain areas. But, you know, when you're coming up as a professional, especially in this day, it feels like there's just a lot of things you need to be good at. And at a certain point, you spread yourself too thin. And I feel like if you're just getting started, um, you know, trying to specialize too much might pro uh, prohibit, you know, potential uh, revenue streams. So I'm just curious, you know, when you were kind of, you know, over all the years of developing your professional career, what was your kind of strategy for balancing time and what did you just kind of say hey today i need to get this thing done and no matter what happens like this is getting done or was it more of trying to you know set an hour aside for engineering an hour aside for maybe learning how to code plugins an hour aside for creating videos you know yada yada or maybe something totally different 
Joey, I remember at the 2019 summit in Vegas and the, and the VIP lunch with Blasco, uh, just so you guys know, Blasco plays bass for Ozzy Osbourne and he manages Zach Wilde and Black Veil Brides and has a bunch of other stuff going on. Somebody asked him a very similar question in regards to Zach Wilde because Zach has like coffee. He has, you know, a line of guitars, his amps, like he plays for Ozzy. He's got Black Label Society. He's got other, he's got a million things going on. And they asked uh, when you should start thinking about all that extra stuff. And his answer was, well, Zach won the guitar player Rockstar game first. Uh, and once he won that game, then he could start adding all the other things. Now, I'm not saying not to uh, learn as much as you can, but I am saying that at some point you're going to have to decide what your main focus is. Because if you just do an hour of this, an hour of that, an hour of the other thing, you're going to find that a lot of time goes by and you're not really great at anything. Um, so I would highly suggest that you decide one thing that you're going to put 80% of your time into until you're fucking awesome at it. And maybe spend 20% of your time on things that will supplement it or complement it. Um, so that's first of all. Uh, second of all, time management is really, really a hard thing and always evolving. But I think it's very important to always keep in mind that there are certain things that move the needle more than other things. And you have to be very, very honest with yourself about those things because sometimes you want to work on things that don't move the needle because you enjoy them more but they just don't move the needle. Uh, and so you have to ask yourself, why are you doing this? There's a lot of whys involved in this. If the why you're doing this is to grow your career, well then maybe doing things that don't move the needle, maybe that's not the best idea. If you're doing this out of enjoyment, then doing, you know, do things that don't move the needle all day long. So an in-depth analysis of what actually matters out of all the million things you could do and what actually coincides or feeds your ultimate goals, those are the things you should focus on the most. And it seems super obvious, but if it was that obvious, people wouldn't ask about this stuff all the time. And from that, I think once you know exactly what those things are, then how you split up the time day to day, that uh, just depends on whatever's going on. There's probably going to be some non-negotiables in there. Like I have to exercise now because if I don't, my life goes to shit. So that's non-negotiable. It doesn't matter what the hell else is going on. That's happening most days. Doesn't matter if like work is getting crazy. Doesn't matter. That's happening. So, you know, figure out where your non-negotiables are and work around that. But make sure that you know why you're doing things and what the point is. What about you, Joey? That's great advice for me. I, so I think there's one thing that I've like learned from my friends who have kids because I don't have kids. And they tell me like, you know, when you have a kid, a lot of your why changes pretty fast. So now you have a family that's, uh, you know, this this child will will die unless you feed it and you won't be able to feed it unless you make money and you won't be able to make money unless you do something that... <laughs> 
makes money, right? <laughs> Unless you go to work. So I don't have that in my life. And so for me, it was more about finding a mission. And it took me a while to figure out what that mission was because I, I, it was kind of conflicted at first. It was like, well, I'm kind of like a producer and I help people make albums, but like I'm also doing the software stuff, but I'm also doing like this website where you can learn how to mix. Like, how does it all come together? And I, one day I just had this epiphany and it was like, oh, my purpose in life is to help people make great music. And I do that in a number of ways. I help them do it through plugins. I help them do it through mixing tutorials or through this website, or even when I'm in the studio with the band, I'm helping someone make great music, right? And once I figured that out, that was sort of my mission statement. It was a lot easier for me to figure out what to do and what not to do because I would get opportunities. Like, you know, somebody comes to me and says, hey, there's like this cool uh, real estate development thing happening down here in Detroit. And if you put in this much money, here's what your returns could be, um, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know, should I get involved in that or not? And once you have that mission statement, it's pretty clear. That's not going to help anyone make great music. So probably shouldn't get involved in it, right? And so for some of you out there that maybe are, there's a lot of stuff in your uh, being thrown your way or you're wearing a lot of different hats, um, once you find that clarity, you, you might be able to figure out what to turn away a lot easier and what to focus on a lot easier. Yeah, like I know it seems, for instance, like I wear a bunch of different hats, but like everything is pointed in the same direction. There's a bigger picture to all of this. So yeah, there might be lots of elements to that big picture, but it is all part of a big picture. It's not like Joey just brought up about, you know, getting asked to invest in some thing. I've been hit up with requests like that all the time. And there's all these side things that I could just do. But what's the point? I have to ask myself, is it going to help or is it going to hurt the big picture? Yeah. Once you get clear with that, it gets a lot easier to figure out how you're going to spend your time. Some of you might follow me and know that like I do have some rental properties and things like that, but that's, you know, you do get to a point where you're, you're pretty efficient at, at what your main thing is at your main lane and it's going well and it's growing every year and it's scaling and, and you're, you know, you're crushing it. Um, that's the time to add other stuff in. But at a time like this, when you're asking, how do I manage my time? There's a lot going on. I don't know what I should be focusing on. You need to go through that first exercise, which is to figure out what is the direction where everything leads in, in sort of a parallel or a complementary way. And, and how do you further increase that direction? How do you keep steering towards that until, until you're pretty much on autopilot? And once you're steering in direction on autopilot, then you can start to think about other stuff. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you. Okay, question here from Billy Figueredo. Let's try this again. There we go. Uh, good afternoon. Sorry about that. Uh, apparently, Discord streamer mode screwed me over. Anyways, so the, the main thing I have uh, as far as a question, I find myself, uh, I'm pretty new to mixing, been part of the URM Academy for, I think, three or four months now. And uh, I find myself being really stubborn. And even though I try different approaches or what I've learned, I end up with the same results. Do you guys have any suggestions on how to get past what you think you know and what you should be doing or getting past that that kind of mentality of i end up the same spot every time how long have you been mixing for so i've been doing this for about six months trying to learn uh in between i kind of started and then remembered that i kept seeing the the ads and you guys talk about the urm academy so i've been doing that for about four months 
So I'm going to cut you off because we're running out of time. I don't want to make sure that we can give you a good answer. I'm going to let Joey mostly answer this, but let me just get this out of the way. Patience, first of all. I had a feeling with this question that you'd only been mixing for a small amount of time. I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but it takes way longer than that to really start getting really good results because uh, your hearing develops a lot like muscles at the gym or something. This is something that takes time. Uh, it's not going to happen in a year or even two, though two years from now, you'll look back at the stuff you're doing now and be like, holy shit, I'm way better now. But, but patience, you're so early in the journey that your hearing hasn't been refined enough to start making the kinds of uh, decisions and hearing the subtlety and the nuance required. Uh, so I would just say in a very encouraging way, just stay the course, just keep working on getting better and just be patient. Joey, what about you? Yeah. Patience is key. Um, four months actually in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of time. You know, even in my busiest days, I think that probably would have only been like two records for me in four months of time. So not a, not a lot changes in between two records, right? Like you're kind of, you know, maybe you're like currently obsessed with like, oh, I think beta, the Beta 52 is like the best kick drum mic right now. And like, you know, a year goes by and you're like, oh, that, that microphone's terrible for kick drum sounds. <laughs> like, you know, so you, you kind of go through these phases and, and then eventually you get to a point where you're like, Actually, the Beta 52 is pretty cool for this kind of kick drum sound versus like the Audix D6 is going to be better for something more metal, right? So like Al said, like you're, you're developing your hearing, you're um, in the process of learning when to, I guess like when to know that something needs work and when something is actually pretty good. And that alone is a pretty, pretty big skill to, to learn and to acquire. But I think the moment you start to feel like, you know, I think like as a mixer, you kind of want to be like in this feeling of everything sucks like all the time because <laughs> that's what makes you a good mixer. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get to the point where you think all your mixes suck, but like you're putting out great work. People are like, wow, this mix sounds really awesome. But you're like, ah, it's, it's all right, but like the snare still sucks. You know, that's where you want to be because then when you're in that place, you're always iterating, you're always improving. So the moment you're sort of like, you feel like your mixes are awesome, I would get scared. That, that's when you're like, you're too comfortable, you know? You gotta shake things up. Try using a different plugin, try using different samples. Maybe try miking the drums in a different way. Don't even like, let's say you always use Pod Farm for your guitar tone, don't open it anymore. Try to get guitar tones with something else. Like that's how you keep, improving that's how you keep growing and scaling and and getting to a place where you're a, just a badass with any kind of tools any set of tools you can go in there and you can make an awesome song and it doesn't matter if you have pod farm or not because you're not flinching on to one thing that makes you awesome great answer thanks billy so tal you are up so I have a question for both of you it's about uh, layering uh, drum samples so if, for example, I have a snare that uh, the, fundamental, the fundamental is uh, like 200 hertz, and then I uh, layer in another sample that is 
like uh, 180 hertz. So do they have to be like on the same frequency or is there a problem with that? The good part is that you're already aware of the fact that you are mixing different drums that have different fundamentals. That's a good thing. I'm glad you know that because some people don't know that. <laughs> but the second part of it is being aware that that could create problems. It could also be a positive thing. So it really just depends on what's happening in the song, what your goals are, what you're trying to do. Because, you know, you could end up in a situation where you do get two snares are, that are um, just not really compatible with each other. And, and, and so in those scenarios, I would hope that you would have the ear to be able to hear that that's, that's happening. But basically what I'm getting at is there's no wrong way to do it, right? You, could, you can have a snare that's a fundamental of 200 and another snare that's a fundamental of 180. You slap them together and somehow you get the balance just right and it sounds awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like you're breaking a law uh, or anything. You also want to pay attention to phase. But in general, I think a mix sounds magical when everything is gelling harmoniously and melodically and knowing when your drums are, like knowing what part of your drums is melodic and getting them to like mesh with the mix like knowing that like okay the, the band's tuned to like drop c and so i know like the fundamental of c is like 65 hertz or something like that I, I don't know the exact number right now but one of those numbers close to that number and so then you start thinking about okay where is my kick gonna live am, am i gonna have it living at like 65 or or am i gonna double that octave uh, going up 65 times two is gonna be the octave up those kinds of things you want to start thinking that that's where my brain goes, but I also kind of approach production and, and mixing from a scientific point of view and less creatively. So that's kind of like where my mind is at with that question. Yeah. But you still, Joey, even if you approach it scientifically, you still have a very strong sense of this sounds good or it doesn't. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, I think part of it, is having a like a I don't know the right word for this. There might be a medical term, but it's like an audio, like an audiographic uh, memory, where like I can hear a mix and I can kind of remember like the footprint of that mix, like in my brain. Um, kind of like how you know you you taste something and you're like, okay, I I know how this tastes, and you have it the next time. And you're like, oh, that tastes that tastes just like it did last time, and then you have it another time. And you're like, oh, something's off about this. This doesn't have enough acidity or it's too salty this time or whatever right you get like accustomed to it so i i've been able to do that with actual like audio um like like mixes and frequency spectrums and things like that so i know the science of it but i also have that like audio memory and i think that really helps me a lot for those of you that maybe don't have that audio memory i would suggest using uh like a plugin on your master bus where you can easily have other mixes playing. Uh, what's that one plugin that we used to hype up a lot? Oh, shit. I think it's metric AB. Yeah. Something like that. I think it used to be called magic AB or something. It doesn't exist anymore. Now I think there's a version of something like it called metric AB, I think. Or just set your, you can also set your DAW to, uh, we won't get into specifics now, but there's a way to set it to where you can just have some tracks at the top and you can easily like just hit solo and it'll play without going through any audio processing and without sounding too loud or whatever. 
So anyway, you get that set up and then it's just a process of like learning what, what you hear, what, what you know about the mix versus what you hear versus what you remember. And you are constantly referencing those three different things. Um, and that's what works for me. That's how I know when something is too far. Like, how much treble should I add to my cymbals? Well, what is the brightest record you've ever heard? Like, probably don't go past that. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think your answer is great. I don't really have much to add. Like, I really think that the answer to that drum sample question is... No, it's not a problem unless it is. There's going to be times, like Joey said, where you put two samples together that shouldn't work and they sound fucking great. And you put two samples together that should work and they sound terrible. You need to be able to tell the difference, but there's no, there's no rule book for one working or the other not working that uh, one of the reasons that great mixers are in demand is because they have that judgment. They have it refined. Their taste for this stuff is so advanced that they do know how to make the right decision. So it's more about how good are you at making the right decision for the music you're working on at the time. That's actually what you need to answer. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for hanging out, Joey. And uh, yeah. thanks, Nick and John Maciel, for uh, putting this together. And thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Looking forward to seeing what you guys do on some upcoming Nail the Mixes. And hopefully we can do something like this again in the near future. Had a lot Have of fun. Hey, everybody. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy and of course tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at AL at URM.academy. That's E Y A L at URM.ACADEMY and use the subject line Answer Me Ale. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit URM.academy and press the podcast link today.